You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. Previously, we examined the family life of the Prophet and so we offered a glimpse of the biography of his wives and we shed some light on the wives of the Prophet, why he married them, uh, what was their position in the, in the religion of Islam and their position towards the Ahlul Bayt peace be upon them. So we talked about all of them except Aisha. Aisha, the wife of the Prophet, inshallah in our discussion tonight and in future discussions, we will examine the role of Aisha and what is the position of us, the Shia, the Ahlul Bayt, peace be upon them, uh, towards Aisha. Aisha was by far the most influential wife of the Prophet uh, She was the daughter of the Caliph, so she had a lot of political power. She is the most respected wife by Sunnis, whereas the Shias have a lot of respect for Khadija and then Umm Salama and then you know uh, Maria, Maymuna and the other wives that we've discussed before. Aisha led major events after the Prophet such as the Battle of Jamal. So she was really the most influential wife after the Prophet now the point is not to offer a comprehensive biography on Aisha but basically to analyze key aspects of her life. Many Muslims take her hadith and follow her path. This is what we the followers of Ahlul Bayt are critical of, to consider her as a, as a source, as a legitimate source in Islamic law, in Islamic theology, in Islamic beliefs and to blindly follow what she says. This is something that we are critical of. Aisha has 2,210 hadiths in Sunni sources. 2,210. 316 of them are in Sahih Bukhari and Muslim. So you can see the size of the hadith that she has in Sunni literature. So she's left the greatest impact even on the science of hadith in the Sunni schools of thought. So now what is of interest for us brothers and sisters, what's important for us in this course, was Aisha a true reliable believer whom I can follow in matters of religion or no? We're not claiming that we know the unseen and we can evaluate who believed in their heart or no. No, it's not, it's not about that. But basically, is she a high-ranking believer, a member of the Ahlul Bayt? So she is an authority in religious figures or according to the Holy Quran, we cannot consider her to be a high-ranking believer, a reliable source in religion. That's the discussion here between us and Ahlul Sunnah. We don't have a personal problem with Aisha for us to sit here and talk about so many aspects of her personality. But here's what concerns us. 
Can I follow her as an authority figure after Rasulullah What is the position of Quran? That's what we care about. First of all, when it comes to matters of hadith, remember we have over 2000 hadiths from her. Aisha was known to be an exaggerator. She would exaggerate. She would be inaccurate in some of her reports. But remember, that's not something we want to get into right now. So let's just focus on the Quran. In order to understand the Quranic position on Aisha and whether she had faith or not, let's briefly go through Surah Al-Tahreem. Surah Al-Tahreem. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Ya ayyuhan nabiyyu, lima tuharrimu ma ahallallahu lak. O Prophet, why do you make something haram on you, something not permissible? Tabtaghi mardata azwajik to satisfy your wives. Wallahu ghafoorun rahim. Allah is indeed forgiving, merciful. The second verse talks about how if you make an oath not to do something, how Allah has given you a way to release yourself from this oath. But here's the part. Verses 3 to 5 are key in telling us about Aisha and also Hafsa, but our point of discussion is Aisha. Verse 3 states, وَإِذْ أَسَرَّ النَّبِيُّ إِلَىٰ بَعْضِ أَزْوَاجِهِ حَدِيثًا And remember, when the Prophet secretly told some of his wives something. Now the point of discussion here is not what, what's the story. We mentioned this briefly when we talked about Maria. That wife, she revealed the secret. Allah informed the Prophet that she broke the secret. He came to his wife, he confronted her. He told her, you revealed my secret. What did she say? What did this wife of the Prophet say? Who told you I broke your secret? Question. If you live with Rasulullah, who's receiving revelation day and night, and every day he's exposing the plots of the plotters and the hypocrites, and you've made a violation, he gave you a secret, you broke the secret, now you come and you tell, you ask him, who told you about the secret? What does that indicate? I'm asking you an academic question here. Why would you be surprised that Rasulullah knows you broke the secret? So immediately what did he say? The all-knowing informed me. I'm not here to pass any judgment, you judge. You figure out what you want to make of this verse. But my only question is, you are the wife of the Prophet, you live with him, you see revelation comes to him every day. You've made a violation, he discovered you made that violation. You come and ask him, who told you? What do you mean who told you? Who tells the Prophet secrets? Who tells the Prophet unseen things? It's strange that she asked him that question. If you did something behind the Prophet's back and he discovered, would you ever ask Rasulullah who told you? Yani who would tell Rasulullah? How would he know? 
did she doubt that he receives revelation? Did she forget he receives revelation? But he quickly told her, the one who knows told me. That's the first part. But again, this is not the point of the discussion here in terms of whether she had faith or not. Verse number four is the Quran's position on these two wives. By the way, according to Sunni and Shia and all books of Tafsir, who are those two wives in question here? Aisha and Hafsa. Aisha the daughter of Abu Bakr, Hafsa the daughter of Umar, no doubt here, so no need to bring you the evidence because Sunni and Shia are unanimously in agreement that it's these two wives. Okay, so now these two wives have come up with a conspiracy against the Prophet, they've made a big violation, they've angered Allah. What should you do? When you do something wrong, what do you need to do? Repent. Verse 4 states, In tatuba ilallah, faqad sagat qulubukuma. You too, see Allah uses the dual, tatuba. Allah says, You too must repent. It's incumbent on you to repent. Why? Because your qulub, what's qulub? Hearts. Your hearts have strayed from what? From the haqq, from the truth. I have a question, if you have a Muslim believing brother or sister, they made a mistake, they committed a sin, would you describe them as such, your heart strayed from the haqq or you would say your action strayed from the haqq, which one would you say to someone whom you know is a believer? Which one would you use to describe the sin? So you have a, a friend who's a believer, their faith is complete, they slipped, they slipped, they forgot, you know whatever, they forgot, they did gossip, backbiting, whatever. Would you say your heart strayed and deviated from the haqq and the truth or you say your action, this action that you committed strayed from the haqq? Which one's more appropriate to use as a description? Action. What do you say? Action. action, what do you say? Action. And by the way, we have hadiths that if you see a fellow believer committing a sin, don't condemn the believer, condemn the action. Because the person's still a believer, okay they slipped, it's not, we're not expected to be infallible. But the Quran when describing what Aisha and Hafsa did, the Quran says what deviated from the haqq? Their action or their hearts? Qulub, your hearts. My question is, can you be a true high-ranking believer when according to God's testimony in the Quran, your heart deviated from the haqq? وَإِن تَظَاهَرَ the Quran says if you continue this conspiracy and you don't end it, this is the only instance in the Quran where God creates an arena, like literally an arena. On one side who do you have? Aisha and Hafsa. On this side the Prophet because he's being attacked and they're conspiring against him, they're hurting him through this conspiracy. So on one side you have Aisha and Hafsa. On this side who do you have? Look at the Quran in verse 4, Allah says look if you continue this war with the Prophet, whatever this conspiracy, 
God is with him. وجبريل, Jibra'il's with him. وصالح المؤمنين, the highest ranking of believers. والملائكة بعد ذلك الظهير. And all the angels will come to the Prophet's side against you. Show me one instance in the Quran where God brings himself and Jibra'il and the angels and the mu'mineen against two people. You tell me these two are high-ranking believers? And then verse 5. Look, if Allah commands His Prophet to divorce you for what you've done, Allah will replace you and give him woman better than you two. How does Allah describe those women who could potentially replace Aisha and Hafsa? Muslimatin, mu'minat. See, if, if a man, think of this scenario, if a man tells his wife, look, if I divorce you, I will this time marry someone who submits, Muslimat, who is a believer. What are you implying? You make that judgment. Would Allah say this about someone who's a high-ranking believer? I'll marry someone better than you who's an actual believer? was an actual Muslim. Okay, so now we've established Surah Al-Tahrim's position on Aisha and Hafsa and for us the followers of Ahlul Bayt, it's very clear that their hearts deviated from the truth. We say they cannot be high-ranking believers when that's the case. They cannot be sources of religious authority when their hearts have deviated from the truth. Simple as that, nothing personal with Aisha and Hafsa, it's just very simple. Yes. I'm just curious, the Sunni tafsirs, do they view this the same way that we look at it from the Shia source? Yes, I've looked at Sunni tafsirs, they even are specific that their hearts did deviate from the haqq. But here's what they say, here's their rebuttal. One response they've given is, they repented. Okay, the Quran doesn't say they repented. So how are you claiming they repented? By the way, before I mention to you what their evidence is, if someone makes a violation, Allah exposes him in the Quran and Allah says, look, you've got to repent. If the person really repented, doesn't Allah's mercy and justice entail that he informs us in the Quran that the person repented? Why leave it open-ended throughout history? If I did wrong and you exposed me and then I repented, shouldn't you come out and publicly say, hey, this guy repented? How come God never does that in the Quran? That's a thought. Sunni, I, a number of Sunni scholars claim Aisha and Hafsa repented because after this incident, the Prophet abandoned them for one month. He didn't go to their rooms. He went into the masjid on a strike. This is in Sunni hadith, by the way. In Bukhari, the Prophet for one month was so hurt by what they did, he just left his, his house. See what they did to Rasulullah. When that happened, they cried. So in Bukhari, Abdullah bin Abbas narrates, the Nisa and Nabi, the wives of the Prophet, started to cry after this incident. Another hadith in Bukhari by Umar states that Hafsa, he saw Hafsa crying. 
What's the Sunni argument? Crying is a sign of Tawbah, that I regret what I've done and so I've repented. What's our response to that? Somebody tells you Aisha and Hafsa repented because they cried, so they felt bad and feeling bad is a type of repentance. How would you respond to that? That's an argument they've used to verify in their school of thought that Aisha did repent. She cried according to Bukhari and when you cry you repent. What do you say? First of all the point that we just mentioned, if she really repented the Quran should have mentioned it, why leave it vague? But number one, crying does not necessarily indicate repentance, maybe you're under social pressure, you did something wrong, the Prophet's angry, people are rebuking you, talking negatively about you, what did you do to Rasulullah, he's in the mosque for 30 days not coming to his house, you're scared of the consequences, maybe that's why they cried, sometimes especially women when they're under pressure they'll cry, does the crying necessarily indicate repentance? It could and it could not, but it's not proof of repentance, see we need solid proof that they repented, we don't have solid proof that they repented. Crying is no way an indication of repentance. You could sometimes you could cry and repent, but crying could have other causes. So I cannot come out and say they definitely repented because they cried. They may have cried for other reasons, emotional pressure. Uh, by the way, uh, we have hadiths in Bukhari that Umar and Abu Bakr went to their daughters, they, uh, one of them slapped his daughter. This is in Bukhari, not in Kafi. In Bukhari, how dare you do something like that to Rasulullah? Uh, you know, Jarrastina, as they say. <laughs> this is embarrassing for us. There's many causes for crying emotional pressure, families threatening them, people talking negatively about them, or regretting the consequence. Oh, what did we get ourselves into? It, it's not an indication they, they sincerely repented from what they did. That's not proof. I would not consider that proof. Sunni scholars are trying to push for this. No, no, this is proof. But you guys be the judge here. I'm sorry, if it's left open ended, uh, are we allowed to judge them if they did not repent? See, see, here's what we say we say their sin is certain, their Tawbah is doubtful. We don't know if they did Tawbah. Whenever somebody sins for sure, and Allah exposes that person, but you don't know that they repented, you cannot consider this person to be righteous and to follow them in religious matters because the person definitely committed a violation and it's not proven to you that they repented so you can't take them as a source, you can't follow this person, you can't raise them to the heavens and say ah this is the best person, uh, the best wife of the Prophet, that's unfair. We don't want to personally judge them at a personal level but we're saying somebody with this situation cannot be a religious figure of authority cannot be a trusted person whom you take your deen from and, and consider this the most righteous wife of the Prophet, that's not fair. You can't put this wife before Khadija, before Umm Salama, before some of these other wives, that's just not fair. That's our argument with uh, Ahl-Sunnah. Okay, there is another rebuttal by some members of Ahl-Sunnah. Allah did tell us that they repented in the Quran, where and how? 
33. What verse is that? Verse of Tathir. Allah wants to thoroughly purify you the Ahlul Bayt, protect you from any uncleanliness. And some of them have claimed, Aisha is a member of the Ahlul Bayt. So Allah has declared in the Quran, she's thoroughly purified. So he accepted her repentance. That's a comeback. What's our answer? What's our answer specifically about this point? From the Quran, because if you go to the hadith, we have evidence from Bukhari that the wives of the Prophet are not included in Ayat al-Tathir. We have evidence in Bukhari that the verse of purification does not include the wives of the Prophet. But we're not getting into hadith now, we're just in the Quran. What is one interesting aspect of the chronology of the Quran that refutes this claim? Which verse came first? Tahrim? Or Tathir. Tahrim is, which, is, is in which ver- surah? Uh, Afwan. Tathir, the verse of purification, is in which surah? Ahzab. This heart straying is in which surah? Tahrim. Which came first? Which was revealed? Ahzab. So Allah first revealed He wants to purify you, the Ahlul Bayt. Later, Aisha and Hafsa came up with this conspiracy. So can you say the verse of purification is proof they repented? No, because the verse of purification came before Surah At-Tahrim. So it's after the supposed alleged purification that they deviated. So it cannot be repentance. That does not fly. Very simple point. There are other arguments I can use here, but let's let's leave it at that. This is simple, clear. Any objections to this argument? Maybe, or is there maybe a way you can think of that you can uh, refute this argument or you, you see it sound? And there's consensus amongst ulama that Ahzab was revealed before uh, Tahrim. Tahrim is one of the last chapters of the Quran to be revealed, you know, one of the later chapters.